Melbourne AA Steps Weekend 2015. This is Nigel talking about Step 3. Good morning everyone. I'm Nigel. I'm an alcoholic. Hi Nigel. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to share with you because I don't often get the chance to share about Step 3, say, in uh, meetings with Alcoholics Anonymous. So it's a new experience for me too. And uh, also I don't speak for 20 minutes usually. <laughs> but I'll make, uh, yeah, I'll make this occasion different. Um, yeah, I was separated from alcohol on the 30th of January 2003. That wasn't the first time I'd been separated from alcohol by a power greater than me. I'd been separated from alcohol in 1975, June by a power greater than me, but I didn't see that then. I had a big journey to go through to get to 2003. Uh, I was born in England after the Second World War. Pretty difficult time for people. Uh, I was born into privilege, really. My family had money, prestige. They were in the right class. They'd been to the right schools. They married the right people. They believed in the Queen. Um, they believed in God. And I went to, I was sent to boarding schools from the age of 8 to 18. And uh, brainwashing comes to mind. Bullying, tormenting, abuse, emotional abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse. I experienced all those things in there. Uh, that brainwashing effectively gave me the background for a lot of ideas that I've held on to until I got to AA. So that's uh, a, lot of, a lot of years, still my mid-50s. Yeah, so after school at 18, look, I'd had some experience with alcohol before then. We, um, probably early teens, I realised that it uh, made me feel different and I liked that feeling. But of course, I didn't have access to it like I could after I left school at 18, which gave me full access to the stuff and then you know you've heard the story I took a drink the drink took a drink and then the drink took me that was my story so by the time I was 24 I was drinking uh, daily and instead of yeah no this is my experience instead of going to university which is what I should have done and I could have done I could have got a scholarship just by my physical rowing I, I rowed and I was uh, my dad rode for Cambridge and I could have got in there because I had the right tie, right connections. But instead of that, and I've said this quite often because it's true for me, I wanted to be a rock and roll star. <laughs> I like Keith and Mick better. <laughs> and Jim and Jimmy and Janice and, you know, all these people who are still in my mind, big. A lot of them died. I survived. Why? Yeah. I wanted to be a rock and roll, so I did. I, I uh, played music and, you know, of course that was frowned upon by where I came from because everything was set in concrete or something. So I was called a re um, I was called rebellious, but what I've seen now, of course, is that I was scared, fearful, frightened because I didn't want to be that. That was hypocrisy. I wanted to be something else. And, of course, I... I, I I jumped onto the bandwagon of the kind of hippie flower power 
era and all the music and the books and the west coast of America and the west is the best here here we'll do the rest Jim Morrison's line I believed it I thought there was going to be a revolution Che Che Guevara comes to mind however all those are just ideas because I could never make them happen it's been said here it says it in the third step is about decision I made plenty of decisions in my life but I didn't act on them. And uh, eventually, of course, that's got, got me to AA. The last person, the last per- place I wanted to be, AA. And one of the expressions I have for my higher power is the most ironic. Because I've found in my life that I end up in the last place that I expect to be. It's a good experience, actually. Because I'm self-centered and arrogant and all that. And it's a very humbling experience to come to a place like this. The last place I wanted to be. I'm too good for that. I came from a culture where you were taught um, a real man can hold his grog. You know. And of course there were people all around me trying to do that, but they failed. <laughs> a lot of my friends' fathers ended up in AA because AA was in the UK by the time, well, yeah, I was aware of it by the time I was a teenager, but of course it was never on the map because I didn't have a drinking problem or ever. I enjoyed the exhilaration. Anyway, I ended up in Australia in uh, 1974, just before Cyclone Tracy in Darwin, and I felt I was in heaven because I could drink 24-7. And I did. And I still, I worked, you know, I did some, I've done some crazy stuff when I've been drinking, using heavy machinery. (coughs) It's absurd. Anyway, that's what we were doing in Darwin. And uh, nine months later, I found myself in Adelaide because what alcohol does with me is to take me wherever it wants to go. That's what it does. And I travel. That's what I do. Because, you know, why should I stay with you guys? I don't like you anymore. You're not doing what I want. I'll go and find some people who are more (laughs) malleable, going to do what what I want you to do. Of course, I never found anyone, did I? Hey, look, I did. I had an experience, a spiritual, I call it a spiritual experience in June '75 when I came across a religion um, just out of the blue. And uh, as you do, as I do, because that's where my help comes from. It comes from left field, it comes out of the blue. It's not, it doesn't come from me. I'll go and do, I'll go to India. I'll spend a year in India looking for a guru and a teacher, which is what I've done, right? But it's got to look the perfect one I want, you know, the Saya Barber or the Rajneesh or the whatever those, because to me those guys look like hippies, so I associated that with hippie. Oh yeah, I'll go and check them out. The Beatles have a lot to answer for. Um, yeah, this bloke just wafted into my life. I uh, just crashed into someone's house and said, can I stay here? Uh, yeah, okay, you can stay here, but I didn't stay there long. They kicked me out <laughs> pretty soon. But this guy was there and he said, oh look, have you heard about this? Look, I'm not going to talk about that religion, but it's a a thing that worked for me. Straight away, I stopped drinking, smoking, taking drugs, all that stuff, because I took some sort of action, which was in those days kind of prayer and uh, looking through the scriptures and working the scriptures as best I could. So for 22 years, I stayed sober using this method. (laughs) 
not the only method, mind you, because I got married and I had work, and I've used lots of methods to stay sober with, because while I'm doing stuff, I can't really be drinking. You know what I mean? I've discovered when I'm not doing stuff, I can drink a hell of a lot, <laughs> which is the way I prefer to drink. That's why I close myself off from everybody in the end, and I'm in, the, in a box, just drinking by myself, so no one can see me. Yeah, uh, 22 years later, that's in 1998, my wife died from cancer, and that's not an excuse to start drinking again. I've been shown that the most insane thing I've done in my life is to start drinking again in 1998. There's no other insaner thing I've ever done in my life. So that day that I got sober, 30th of January 2003, ironically, is my wife's birthday. Now, that's why I call another phrase I have for my higher power is the most humorous or the biggest comedian, if you like, because that's what it is. I'm the, I'm the joke. It's a far place. It's, it's far different to where I've come from, I tell you. Uh, it's very different to what I've been thinking in the past when I was first in AA. Okay, look, AA, I was in AA for a couple of years and muddling around, been to a rehab, uh, did the drill. I spoke the jargon. I can pick up the jargon easy and spout it back. People were giving me pats on the back. Good on you, mate. Keep coming back. You're doing well. In my head, I wasn't doing well at all. I was just about to leave. Got a sponsor who came, who came to me. That's my experience. Someone came to me. And in fact, we're asked to do that. We go and help other people. We offer help to other people. That's what this guy did. One of the first questions he asked me is, what does willingness look like, Nigel? I still, that's why I asked that earlier. Still don't know. Well, I do know. I do know what it is. But I, I like asking it of other people. And today I love that guy. And I don't love many people. I've learned how to love again. So he took me through the steps um, in a very profound way because I needed to go through there. First three steps basically are about. Um, um, well, the first step, let's go there. In my experience, I can see to my own myself I'm powerless over alcohol and my life is unmanageable whether I'm drinking or sober. That's certainly been proved to me. And that the idea that I'm going to be drinking again, like other people, the square heads and the earthlings out there, is never going to happen. And you know what? That was profound for me because for 22 years when I was sober, married, my wife never saw me drinking. Sober. Well, dry drunk if you like, because I was a real pain in the ass. Uh, but I'm more of a pain in the ass when I'm drunk, as people discovered. Yeah. Um, concede to mind and myself that I'm powerless over alcohol. And the idea that I can drink again sometime, I had that idea, but it wasn't drink. My mind, I've got an alcoholic way of thinking. It's not unusual. I mean, uh, you know, everybody in the world is restless, irritable, discontent to some extent, right? But it'll kill me because I go to resentment, self-centeredness, blah, blah, blah. So seeing that I was powerless over alcohol was really important. That meant I couldn't touch it again. And that was really important for me to see because I had reservations before the idea that I may not 
drink alcohol because I knew I had trouble with that. But I could try some other organic substance. You know, I come from a generation yeah. where we got into organics. So I'll try something organic. Look at the Native Americans and all the Aboriginals and all those Native people. I'm going to be like them. Yeah. Uh, so that's my one of my reservations. And that's just one idea that had to be smashed. Pretty powerful idea. Because that would have inevitably taken me back to drinking. I didn't need that anyway because I drank again, didn't I? Just the idea of that. I drank for the next five years, uh, just one month short of five years, from 98 to 03. Uh, I don't need to tell you, I lost pretty much everything, didn't I? I was, well, look, it all went. I don't have to tell you what it is. But I ended up down in Melbourne, which is the last place I wanted to be again, uh, on the lounge room floor of my daughter who just got married, my oldest daughter, very important person in my life. I love her a lot. She's coming over here in a couple of weeks from New Zealand. She permitted me to stay on her lounge room floor and she said, "You, Dad, you've got to go to AA. Because <laughs> I've been saying to people, oh yeah, I'll go to AA. So I did go to AA and started, uh, well, as I said, I backtracked a bit there, didn't I? Three years later, I went through step one, and then step two, and then step three, and then step four, all the way through to step 12 with this guy. So having done um, step one, um, it was easy to move into step two. But the hard part about step two for me, and the thing that got me through that, and it becomes more apparent now, of course, is the setting aside of prejudice and the coming to terms with that idea of willingness, what is it, what is it, so that then I can move through, because I had a thousand ideas about what God is, I didn't have any fear about what God is when I got here, it didn't frighten me, um, <laughs> didn't frighten me away from this show, I already knew everything there was to know about it, and of course that's the very thing I had to unlearn, set aside, and that process has happened actually, because now I see myself as a baby stepper, just with these very simple expressions of what this higher power is like, the most ironic, the greatest comedian, the great reality, the great inner resource, all those sort of things. Something real in my life, you know, I like rock and roll. So one of the expressions I have for it is that power which is greater than Mick and Keith. <laughs> <laughs> because otherwise I'll get this idea like, these guys are my idols. People, places and things are my idols. Yeah, okay, so step two, willingness, set aside, uh, prejudice, and then you have the proposition, is God everything or is God nothing? Pretty difficult at that point. And, of course, it's becoming more apparent to me now what that means. Um, the choice, they ask us to make a choice, and uh, I made the choice, God is everything. So that implies to me, or it has taken to me a place right now, currently, where God, uh, this power that keeps me sober... Uh, has always been there, whether I want it or not. It's beautiful. So simple. So whether I'm crazy, mad, bad, glad or sad, um, it's still there, in spite of my thinking. And that's kind of like a freedom, because we move into step three, where we're asked to make a decision. Uh, I mean, the first requirement in step three really is to do with... Uh, 
to do with the actor. Yeah, right? The, the idea that playing God doesn't work. And of course, that's not the easiest thing to do because I didn't believe I was playing God. So first of all, I had to see that I was. And then they show us that selfishness and self-centeredness is my problem, uh, driven by forms of hundreds of forms of fear, self-pity, self-centeredness, beautifully simple. And I came to see like like a big bright star, yeah. And then you know uh, I bring myself to a self-imposed crisis. This is all in step three. So the actor, yeah, I've been, you know, what have I been? A father, a son. These are all acts. I've been trying to be a father, a son, a brother, a lover, a musician, a spiritual traveller. Okay, the list is endless. And even Mr. AA. Yeah, sure, I can do that. That's all an act. And um, I come to see that now for myself. So that's the first requirement. And then make a decision having done the first two steps. And uh, the keystone was mentioned before. Well, I love this analogy, or the metaphor, of the arch in the big book. It's really grabbed my attention. That's why it's written there. It's just for me, the arch. Why didn't I think of that before? I love buildings. And I grew up in an area where there were lots of arches, and the Pont du Gard comes to mind in southern France. Brilliant. Yeah, the arch, right? Foundation being maybe the first step. Also, it's mentioned in the 12th step as being helping others. That's the foundation. Then the uh, keystone, uh, sorry, the cornerstone. Um, really being a simple uh, willingness to just look at the God idea. Then the keystone being, yeah, that decision to uh, choose that God is everything. So the keystone can be put into place in the arch and then the other steps are built around it. It's so just a beautiful metaphor, simple one for me, um, which I, is constantly in my mind, really, probably every day. Um, just that, those things are so simple for me now. I've come to see that, that big, the big book, or Alcoholics Anonymous, has been the only book I've studied in my life. You know, the rest of it, I've just winged through it, said, yeah, I'll do it, you know, and just wing my way through life. That's what I do. Easier, softer way. But that book, I've somehow I've been drawn to study a little bit more and it's really meant a heck of a lot to me, I tell you folks. So it's that idea of the triangle um, within the circle that is the wholeness about this whole program. Um, that is really important. It's, uh, you know, the fellowship, working with others, uh, going through some sort of recovery yourself. Um, I consider myself to be a recovered alcoholic now in um, body and mind. That doesn't mean to say that um, I'm recovered from alcoholism because the spiritual malady is the thing that I'm, that is always there that gets me to do other stuff. If I don't maintain on a daily basis uh, some form of spiritual maintenance, folks. That, that uh, idea of the frog was good too, like those three frogs sitting there um, and one made a decision what does it actually mean? You know, how many are there? Well, of course, they're all still sitting there because no one took any action. And that's the point about this stuff, isn't it? And I, I have difficulty with that, sure. You know, I can make all these decisions, but then taking some action. Nigel, do you want to share it? Do you, do you want to do the third step at this uh, gathering here? Uh, or maybe, no, maybe I've got something else to do. Uh, yeah, no, I'll do it. I'm willing in that regard. So that's why I'm here. And 
you know, I'm here right now, this is the only place uh, that I'm, I feel really alive, you know. God is closer to me than my breath. And that's about as close as I can get to what God is for me. Because I do, I breathe automatically. I wake up, if I'm not breathing, I'm dead. So breath is really an important part for me. And God is closer to me than that. Thanks a lot, folks. Information about the annual Melbourne AA Steps Weekend is available from www.stepsweekend.aagroup.org.au Thanks for letting us share.